0: The podcast focused discussing design's role in tackling complex societal issues. Our goal is to have conversations that inspire and help move the dial forward for organisations to become more human-centred in their approach to solving complex business and societal problems. In this episode, I speak with Moody Mamoudi of Next, a business centered around helping organizations create frameworks for design and innovation within their business. And we speak about the automation of the role of the design and innovator and what this looks like. And I challenge Moody about the risks associated with this. I mean, is this something that we strive for folks? Moody explains that this isn't the intention, but it's removing the mundane elements and creating experiences that enable designers and innovators to focus more on the craft of their doing and their work. So we speak about the hyper addiction of organizations striving for more growth. And if this is the driver behind next business model, we cover off the frameworks inside the next system that allows others to tap into it. So Frameworks of Circular Economy by Ellen MacArthur Foundation stuff there from the design council and also the new this is service design doing framework by my colleagues mark marcus and adam and Jakob at this is i thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and i hope you do too it's a biggie let's jump straight into it moody it's great to have you on the podcast uh, i'm delighted to have you here um, maybe for our listeners tell us a little bit about yourself where you're from and what you do
1: uh, Jerry, thanks so much for having me. Um, so I'm Moody, Mahmoudi, uh the co-founder and CEO of NEXT, uh, originally born in, in Tehran, Iran. I'm originally Iranian, grew up in France, uh, lived in Canada, Singapore, the US, uh, and now uh, in France.
0: The south of France as well, yeah. To be, to be specific, you're li- it sounds like you're struggling in uh, the south of France with the beautiful weather at the moment.
1: On and off, right? November is a period of uh, of, of rain uh, sometimes, but you know, in the fall, it's a, a period of transition. So you have amazing light during the day and during night, but uh, you know, we we also have moments of rain and clouds. So it's not the south of France of July and August that everybody imagines, uh, um, you know, in their heads.
0: I know. Yeah, it's in my mind. It's like you know, beach and, you know, sun and all that. Cause I'm, I'm sure it, it's, it's the typical stereotype that probably South of to France. People kind of are always challenging. I like, know it's not like that at all.
1: <laughs> no, I, and actually we live in a part of south of France, which is very artistic. So we have the Magmat Foundation next door where, you know, Miro and Picasso and all these guys used to hang out oh, when they would wow. come here. Um, so it's, it's really cool to have uh, all of that artwork around here. We have the Matisse uh, uh, church, which is not far. I mean, amazing inspiration. Uh, uh, yeah down here uh, uh, for, for anybody who is interested in this kind of stuff.
0: And look, speaking of inspiration, like, you know, we've been speaking for, for a while now about, uh, you know, the, the business that you're running called Next, um, and it's an inspiring kind of story that you've got um, on what you kind of do. Let's talk a little bit more around where it came from, like what problem does this solve and maybe tell us a little bit more around the the lead up to starting the business as well.
1: Absolutely. Um, Jerry, so we started Next a couple of years ago with an ambition of essentially helping companies create propositions and offerings that their users love. Initially, the focus was around automating the function of design, uh, business design, more specifically about you mm. know, re- really building user-centric propositions. And over the years, we have morphed into more of an all-in-one growth platform uh, that customers use essentially to scout research And experiment new propositions, product, Mm. services, offerings, whatever they may be working on. And the real background of this, Jerry, came from an amazing conversation I had a couple of years ago with one of the co-founders of Siebel Systems, um, who told me, Moody, when they started, Siebel Systems created the first CRM system in the world. And their thinking Mm. was, hey, sales is an art. You know, Mm. I remember when I was a child, my father would tell me good salesmen are artists because they would close deals. Nobody knew what they had done and design and innovation was a little bit of the same in companies when we started looking into this it was a lot of voodoo and magic going on some people are creative some aren't and i'm like are you serious why when there is real science behind this so the thinking for us was if Mm -hmm. every function in an enterprise over the past 40 years has gone from being chaotic and you know and and voodoo and all over the place Mm -hmm. to being organized into a best practice and automated by software why not design and growth why Mm -hmm. can't we organize design and growth into a best practice and then automated mm-hmm. by software. So that essentially it can be replicable and scalable at you know at numbers that are un, un, unimagined until today. And yeah. so that was the thinking for us for creating the company. It was how can we really use technology to um, to make design and growth more accessible to a lot of people.
0: I know there's going to be listeners here now who are listening to this kind of going automating the design and innovation process. And they'll probably have to go and lie down, okay, because that is something that is quite intrinsic to lots of the listeners here and kind of going, this is sacred stuff and we are humans at the end of the day, researching humans. Is it ever going to be possible for a system to allow us to be able to do that effectively? What do you say to those people who, like myself, I'm asking the question, um, who who think that like, okay, in order to truly understand the problem is a human thing and how do you approach that from next perspective?
1: Absolutely, uh, it's a great question, Jerry. The one of the things that you know, uh, I'll get concrete about. You know what, what we do in the product and how it works. One of the things that I that we think about when we build technology is technology is not to replace humans. It's essentially to help assist and or uh, and, and 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 support humans in their work of trying to uncover, for example. Uh, unmet customer needs in the case of research that you were talking about. So, for example, if you're researching, imagine that a normal product owner may run 5, 10, 15 interviews, may do some market research. Where does the data go? I mean, the data is typically mm. sitting on post-its like this, in, in notepads, uh, in my head. I mean, it's all over the yeah. place. You know, what mechanics do we have to analyze that data? I mean, people use highlighters, right? I don't remember if we were, you remember when we were in university. We used to use highlighters when we prepared for exam, and then we would write in the gutter why this is important. Mm-hmm. Where Next automates all of that digitally, meaning you can bring all of your 15 interviews in a single place. You can highlight the stuff directly in Next, tag them, and then emerge trends across those 15 interviews based on what you have tagged and what is important. That is what we are focused on. We're focused on playing mm-hmm. that supporting role that helps you focus on that human analysis. That technology cannot replace, but for everything else, you've got next.
0: So how does it do that? Because you know, there's there's some good text out there around the the bias that persists in the algorithms that that surface these problems. And from a, a privileged white man perspective, I'd have a real problem with that if I was inheriting these these insights that were being derived from a technology. I'd want to understand how the algorithms are being co-created to making sure that they were inclusive?
1: So no algorithms, no funky business going on. I'm talking, Jerry, about you know, very simple tagging, meaning if I pick, a, pick ah, okay. a piece of text and I tag it legroom, you know, if I'm exploring, okay. for example, f- flight seats. And then, you know, in, yeah. in five other interviews, I also find legroom. When I search for legroom, I find all of that evidence back, right? Okay. So There's no magic, right? I'm not talking about magic here. It's really, think of it as a utility and a productivity tool for teams right. to get organized themselves. No built-in robots and, and maybe... So it's the to a point
0: that the control and the power is still being retained by the practitioner. Absolutely. Okay, right. Now we're on the same page.
1: Yeah. And the way I think <laughs> like a... about it Jerry honestly is how what is it that we can take away from the practitioner yeah. so that they can actually spend time applying their smartness. Because yeah. how much of a project manager or designer uh, sorry how much of a designer's time goes into project management? I think that's one of the mm. biggest complaints I hear from designers is that I spend 30, 40, 50% of my time managing a project. Well, okay, let us manage the project, all this really mundane stuff that you need to do, keep your data together, things organized, teams collaborative, all this kind of stuff. Let Mm. us do all of that so that you can focus your time about analyzing what you're finding, thinking about, you know, challenging your findings, etc., which is very important.
0: So it's more of a zoomed out perspective in terms of how you think about design and innovation, because there are tools out there that digital tools as well that I'm I'm referring to that allows you to um synthesize and and sort of sort of create a repository for your research, your data sets, and allows you to do your tagging. This is something that would sit with you from research all the way through till service delivery. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, we think about it all you know, that's why I was saying for me it starts at scouting. Uh, then it goes into research and then it goes into into the experimentation part. And for me, Hmm. all of that is part of what allows companies to grow. Um, and you will find the same patterns, Jerry, of, Hmm. you know, of, of practice across those functions, meaning when you're scouting something, you don't scout internally. You always scout externally. So that means that you are absorbing information that you need to analyze, prioritize, and then create conclusions from diverging, converging. When you're doing research, it's exactly the same. Experimentation. I mean, growth hackers talk about this all the time. You know, growth hacking is all about putting out, you know, creating ideas, prototyping them, putting them in the market, seeing what happens, and then absorbing learnings. Right? That learnings yeah. need to be analyzed, need to be brought together, and then and and then and then you know uh, follow up steps need to be Small created. Small
0: experiments, yeah.
1: exactly. And that's what we're all about.
0: Okay. So let's let's talk about um, let's talk about what it looks like. Okay. So say um, some of your clients at the moment. Uh, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but a lot of businesses out there are quite dysfunctional. This is going to be a, a light bulb moment. There's there's lots of stuff and complexity going on within organizations. Lots of designers who've got, you know, misshaped heads from banging their heads against the wall for, <laughs> you know, decades. Um, They see this online, OK, and they kind of go, this looks interesting. How do you and what does it look like from their perspective? How do you help them and what does it look like in terms of how they get started?
1: Sure. Um, so essentially, you know, we've uh, Jerry over the past uh, couple of months since essentially the pandemic happened, and uh, we realized that the, the adoption of digital tools is widening very rapidly in companies. Yeah. We've been we've been doing two things in order to essentially help com- help teams get their hands on Next and get going faster. First was a shift towards being a more product led freemium offering for the product. Traditionally, Next has been a sales led enterprise play. Our clients are Bosch, BASF, Deloitte—big companies, big organizations with lots of people um, yeah. who we would sell into and then support them in order to bring design, innovation, and growth into their business. But mm-hmm. over the year, over the past months, we have realized that individual product owners can also benefit from Next. So why not allow them to do that? So we've introduced—we're introducing a freemium offering um, in the market. Actually, this week, uh, that people can go on our website and sign up for, uh, can, can use Next for free forever. As long as um, as long as they want, and then the other thing that yep. we've done, uh, Jerry, is team up with some of the absolute thought leaders in growth in order to bring their frameworks in next in the form of what we call community templates. They include organizations okay. like this so, is service design doing the book.
0: Ah, okay, right. Which is Mark, Mark connected us, um, which is great. So, what does that look like? So. Some people might have the references of a mural or a Miro in terms of being able to pull in canvases. Um, what does that look like? Is it, is it something similar?
1: Uh, it's not a We're not a collaborative whiteboard. But, you know, Miro and Miro, uh, mm. Miro and mural are both great friends of ours. They actually yep. are integration partners of our software. We think of Next as the analytics part of that process, right? So you do, imagine, you do an assumption mapping exercise on Miro. Yeah, where does their data reside, right? On, on data Miro. Is, it's sitting yeah. on Miro, right? But then you want to connect that data to an experiment that you're going to run in six weeks. Yeah. How? How, how does that happen, right? That's where we come in, right? So essentially, while Miro manages the collaborative experience, where you create stuff together, etc., then you can bring yeah. that data back into Next and say, okay, now I have my data, I can classify them by desirability, viability, feasibility, by risk level, by whatever. And then you can start saying, okay, in order to validate these assumptions or negate them, I'm going to run a bunch of experiments. You can connect these to the experiments. You can then run the experiments, negate and validate stuff. It essentially, think of it as the, the database that sits behind these moments of collaboration that you need across the process. Uh, Jerry, I always say, design is not a bunch of workshops. So there you go, I, that's what I, mean. I know, right? So okay. there we are focused really on that process of design, where the data is, how are you collaborating, what are you doing, how do you connect all of your data up and how do you build a system of evidence for everything that okay. you're developing rather than moments of collaboration.
0: So there is like, you know the, the, the whole thinking of design is definitely not just a workshop or a bloody dis- design sprint or anything of the sort. It goes beyond that and it permeates the culture and the behaviors of of everyone within the organization. Yeah. How do you work with the other people in the organization um, because is access to this just for the design and innovators or how does it work with people who are saying the call centers and how does it work at a at a system scale within the organization
1: I mean there's two essentially dimensions that we think about for uh, Jerry on this one the first one yeah. is that one of the ambitions of uh, of combining frameworks for growth and design with technology is to make those frameworks more accessible. So that's Hmm. step number one. How can we put these frameworks in the hands of more people who can actually do productive work with them, right? So that's one. And the second part is now that you have your data in a single place, you can actually open this up to people. Imagine that I run three, four or five interviews as a product owner, and I find really amazing stuff. How awesome is it Mm -hmm. to share this with the VP of my business unit and say, hey, you remember for the past six months we've been talking about this other thing? It seems that it's completely wrong because this is what actually people are saying. And I'm actually pointing to real facts. I'm not making a presentation where I am uh, diluting the message with my opinion on a slide. No. The VP can come in and they can read exactly, or even watch in a bookmarked video what that person that I interviewed said. It's amazing. Okay. You're really putting yeah. the data at the fingertips of your decision makers and your stakeholders in order to be able to make the right decisions in a customer centric, human human centric way.
0: Okay. When we were speaking before, we were talking about the whole kind of 10x world of services and the service economy, and how it's it's exploding at the moment. Walk me through around uh, what that looks like with businesses who are using. Like, talk to me some of the success stories um, from customers who are, who are using Next and what they got out of it.
1: Absolutely, uh, Jerry. I think the ten X thing is a fascinating one, and maybe I put that in context because I'm sure some of some of your listeners are saying ten X. What are you guys talking about? I know. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you know, I think Jerry, the example we talked about a couple of minutes ago was toothbrushes. I think everybody who's probably listening on this podcast brushes their teeth morning and evening, right? So a yeah. toothbrush, an electric toothbrush, which is now more and more of us use, uh, if you go to the New York, New York Times list of recommended electric toothbrushes, yeah. the average electric toothbrush costs between $30 to $50. Then you have yeah. companies like Oral-B, IO, or Sonicare by Philips who have essentially wrapped that same product the electric toothbrush with the rotating head and the whole thing, into a bunch of, with a bunch of digital services, for example, that yeah. measure how hard you're brushing, how often you brush, which direction or what parts of your mouth are you brushing. And suddenly a Air or Oral-B.io cost $300. Mm. $30? $300. 10x. And the difference between those two is not the product. The actual physical product yeah. is pretty much the same right? Maybe a little bit of a different shinier design or whatever, but not worth 10x value. It's the services. No. And so this idea that services are creating this value for end users uh, is, is a real thing. I mean, that's where the 10x example that we were chatting about came from. And you would notice yeah. in recent reports also, you see that essentially it's how service economy is literally exploding, right? Services are becoming more, a bigger part of national economies, increasingly corporations are investing heavily in it. I don't know how many on this call could identify a digital transformation team in their company. Digital transformation teams don't create physical products. They create digital services. That's what they are doing, right? And so essentially, companies are really focused on saying, hey, regardless of what it is our business is, are we traditionally a service company or no, we're a physical goods company? How can we build services to augment the value proposition of our services and our offerings to customers?
0: there's definitely going to be listeners listening to this and i am i'm uneasy i'll be honest with you when i hear this kind of stuff because even though i know growth is absolutely critical for businesses to you know to you know grow and and obviously to appeal to their shareholders and so forth there's definitely a part of me that kind of sort of repels from this kind of conversation when it comes to the capitalistic mindset of just saying okay grow get bigger get faster you know but what's the impact of this on life, okay? because you know if every business in the world was to kind of go grow by ten x, it's not uh you know an infinite resource pool that they're going to be running from. That's the bit that I, I I challenge on this in terms of are we are we enabling that type of mindset to permeate the cultures of organizations to just think all about growth and get bigger and fatter and slower and sloppier and sluggish is that? what we're we're talking about here
1: jerry i love the question thank you so much for opening up this opportunity not something that i had planned to talk about but the way we think of growth jerry in our company is not just necessarily in terms of money i think companies have can grow in many different ways they can grow in the way they impact society organizations who are trying to create equal pay, equal opportunity, you know, Mm. build companies that reflect the society they live in. You can grow in openness and inclusiveness you can grow in sustainability and circularity, right? The way mm. you, the impact you live on the planet, right? And, you know, besides us saying, hey, this is how we feel, we actually are eating our own dog food. Let me give you a very concrete example. The examples mm. that we talked about us teaming up with this is service design, doing around service design automation, we are doing very similar work with organizations like uh, Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Okay. Ellen MacArthur Foundation teamed up with IDEO to create what they call the Circular Design Guide, which is essentially a playbook, mm. a template of how companies can do circular projects. It starts from identifying opportunities, researching the problem, and then experimenting with potential, potential products that they can bring uh, into the market. May those be new products or ap- applications of circularity to their existing products. So what we've mm. also done is taken those frameworks and automated them in Next. We actually have templates in Next that you can use today to do circular, circular design opportunity mapping, circular design end-to-end projects. All hmm. of that, I will put Jerry under the, under, under the envelope of growth because companies, don't have to grow in a monolithic way and that monolithic way doesn't have to be money you can grow in the way you impact the society around you you can grow in mm. the way you impact uh, the planet uh, through circularity and sustainability you can of course grow your business by 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 rethinking the value you're creating for your customers some of these jerry may translate into monetary consequences So growth for me isn't to make money. You create you create growth by creating value for your customers. In return, they're willing to give you maybe more money. The same goes for circularity. I mean, there's a lot of companies out there who're saying, "Hey, we create sustainable products, and they're more expensive." That's fantastic, right? So growth for me doesn't equate uh, capitalistic, money hungry, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, gas guzzling. uh,
0: so there's yeah. many facets to growth. Is what I'm hearing. Like the, the the fastest growth. Most of most of the time, people just assume more customers, more money. You know, more profit. You know, is that variable? Um, can can they define, or do you help them define the elements of growth that they're they're going to go after? Is that something that you work with them on within Next? Is is that something, or do you just say it, it's an it's an open frame open frame book or, or a playbook, so to speak?
1: I mean, it's not open because we have very specific templates, right? So the templates that we have built at okay. Ellen MacArthur Foundation is separate from the service design template, which is separate from, a, I don't know, assumption oh, mapping okay. template, right? These frameworks are automated within the template. So customers come and choose which template they want to use. Mm. And some of them create their own templates because some of them say, hey, I actually have a growth is the way we do it. Uh, strategy, which is separate from any of these things, right? Um, so you can, you can, you can choose these templates, but I think what really is interesting, Jerry, and in what you are uh, pointing out is that very often, what type of growth you choose to focus on is a mm. result of your strategy, right? Which is yeah. essentially then supported, not by us, but by strategic consulting companies or, you know, internal strategy teams that say, Hey, we want to focus on this and this and this, and that's how then they get uh, to decide which direction they're going to go down.
0: All right. Very good. So in terms of, you mentioned at the start there, that, um, there's lots of big businesses, like some huge businesses like Bosch and Deloitte, and so we're using the platform at the moment. Um, what does it look like in terms of, say, an independent consultant who goes in to consult with clients who, who say, local councils or governments, and they want to start them off in this journey? Is it, is it something that um, you have to embed into the organization, get the organizations to buy or permission? What does that look like from an independent consultant's perspective?
1: Um, uh, great question, Jerry. So it's mm. actually we really thinking about this bottom up, meaning actually tomorrow, uh, you know, if there's any independent consultants who are listening to, uh, to this podcast, mm. they can actually go sign up and start using Next f- for their own in supporting a project for a client. And then if that's, you know, if the clients found that there's a lot of value in this and that they love the data and the intelligence and the evidence that has be- been built into there, they can then pass it on to the client. So we really think of this as in a very flexible way uh, for people to have essentially a ramp, an increasing ramp of how you adopt next into your company that is very easy to start with and essentially Mm. can go all the way uh, to include the most uh, sophisticated security and uh, data residency and and Mm. access right controls and all these kinds of things that a lot of the uh, large corporates uh, do expect at some point on.
0: There's definitely, there's something in this that I, I'm i really attracted to, I won't lie to you, like this sits me kind of going, hmm, part of me was kind of like initially kind of resistant, but now I'm like, it is actually really cool to be able to, I don't like the term playbook, but it is kind of something along those lines that organizations as they grow, um, they change how they innovate and they change how, they, how the processes change. So those templates that you have in there at the moment, can they adopt them and morph them for, to make it fit for purpose for themselves?
1: Absolutely, Jerry. The templates, mm. one of the conditions that we've had until today with, one of the, uh, with our template marketplace, and maybe I should back up, back, back up one second here. There are two types of templates in our marketplace. Okay. There is proprietary templates, which our clients can create for their own, and then they use it because they think it's a strategic differentiator of their business. Or you have yeah. community templates. The community templates, we have had one condition for anybody who wants to join us, that you have to essentially open source it, right? Okay. Meaning that you put it out there, you allow people to use it in whatever shape or form that they want, and you allow them to take inspiration from your template and then morph it and tweak it into the way that, for example, would fit their organization. Circularity Mm. is a beautiful example, Jerry. Circularity for every company in the world means different things. They need different ways to integrate circularity into their organization. And companies Mm. need to have that flexibility to do so. So very often what happens is that clients come, they click the circularity template, they go through it, and then they say, ah, this is okay, but this not, this not, this not, this not. And maybe they adopt 75% of the circular design guide, but then the last 25% is tweaked to fit their their internal processes their internal decision making flows their internal stakeholder yep. maps and so on so absolutely we have we offer that full flexibility so people can make the best of these templates uh, as they run their project
0: moody it's it's really interesting and uh, i have really enjoyed speaking with you today I'll throw a link to the the nextapp.com uh, within the show notes but is there anything else you wanted to cover off before we wrap up the conversation
1: I mean, the only thing that, um, Jerry, I, I, I wanted to maybe just underline here hmm. is, you know, the awareness that we as individuals, and I, we started with product managers, product owners, product teams, service designers, et cetera. Yeah.
0: The,
1: the impact that we can have on the world cannot be underestimated. I really appreciate, Jerry, you giving me the opportunity to come on the, on the, on the show and share not only about how we can create more service designers. But how can we actually yeah. package the service design skill set, or design skill set yeah. in more broadly terms and exactly. deliver it to people who will not think of themselves as a service designer?
0: Yeah, and that's so something that, that we, really, we speak about. Go ahead. Sorry, I cut across you.
1: I was just gonna say, Jerry, this is why we as a company wake up every single morning is to expand that skill set in in the world and hopefully help people remove friction for the world, create a world in which people are happier, create a planet that is more sustainable. That's really what matters. And I really encourage everybody on the call, may you be, may you be an expert practitioner or not to give it a shot because you can. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, I'm definitely going to check it out and um, sign up. Maybe there's something there that we can do with, with this is city, but we'll, we'll chat about that offline. Moody, thank you so much for your time and sharing your story with us. It's, it's a really exciting time for you. And, you know, you've got friends here at This Is HCD hopefully. And if anyone wants to give feedback, both critically or um, and otherwise, I'll put a link to, to Moody's uh, profile on LinkedIn, if that's OK with you. And they can contact you and ask you any questions that they want themselves.
1: Absolutely. It's an open door over here.
0: All right. Great stuff. Moody, take care.
1: Thank you so much, Jerry. Take care and talk soon.
0: So there you have it. That's all for this episode of Bringing Design Closer. If you like this episode, feel free to visit thisis where you can access our back catalog of over a hundred episodes with episodes related to service design, product management, design research, and much, much more. If you're interested in design and innovation training, feel free to check out our business, thisisdoing.com, where you can join online classrooms and learn from the world's best design and innovation leaders. Join the This Is HCD newsletter where you'll receive updates from the network and also if you're interested, apply to join the Slack community on ThisIsHateCD.com. Stay safe and until next time, take care.